You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Let me ask you this. Is the world getting better or worse? <clears throat> the answer is yes. Yes, you see wickedness and you see a lot of corruption and, and evil and murder, poverty, injustices everywhere. You see the <coughs> effects of sin, but you also see the righteousness of Christ advancing in the hearts of many too. Don't you? Praise God. Don't you? There is uh, Muslims converting to Christianity at an incredible rate right now. Praise God. Right? You see church plants and missionaries pushing farther into the unreached areas. Praise God. Yeah? You see the younger generation who said, you know what? I hate institutional religion. I hate church. But they are now turning back to the church. Praise God. They are. So is the world getting better or worse? The answer is yes. Yes. It's really interesting, actually, because it's just like the parable Jesus speaks of concerning the wheat and tares. They're both, they'll both grow together side by side until it's time for harvest. So what is wicked and also what is godly, what is worldly and what is holy, the unbelieving and the believing, they all grow up together. So is the world corrupt and broken and wicked? Yes. But you know what? Is, is, Christ, is the light of Christ shining through? Yes. Praise the Lord. Right? The wheat and tares are growing together. Now, if you remember back in chapter 3, God put enmity between the seed or the descendants of Eve, which are the godly, and the seed of the serpent, which is another way of saying the corrupt, the wicked, the evil, whatever. Enmity means deep-rooted hatred. So from that moment, the kingdom of God has been advancing, right? The kingdom of God has been advancing. The light of Christ has been advancing. God's design and purpose has been advancing. The divine agenda has been advancing, but in the midst of ever-increasing wickedness. So yes, there's a lot to fear in this world. Like the illustration I gave you last week, I talked about that one couple, the parents, who said they really did not want to bring children to this broken world. They were fearful uh, that this world would corrupt them and all this stuff and things like that. And yes, there's much to fear, but you know what? There's also a greater fear. That's the fear of the Lord, right? For the Bible says, for he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So if you fear the world... The only way to, to, to diminish that fear of the world, the fear of man, is to have the fear of the Lord. Amen? So you got to ask yourself, who do you fear most? The world or the one who can control your soul? God or the world? We fear God. Amen? So we see this battle of God's kingdom in the midst of evil immediately here in chapter 4. Here's my first point for today. God checks the heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, God checks your heart. Okay, so in this country, in this time, I don't know, we really don't put too much emphasis on motive. Rather, it's all about actions. That's why we say things like, hey, it's not how you talk to talk. It's how you what? Walk to walk, right? And they say, I'll believe it when I see it. No, very good, right? So it's this whole idea like, prove it. I need evidence. Show me. Give me the deeds. Give me the actions. So we've just about convinced ourselves that what a person is inside is really no one's business. 
Because to us, all that matters is what he or she does. But the Bible says something different. Yes, actions are important. Deeds are important. What you do is important. How you walk the walk is important. But here in the Bible, it claims that God also checks what's inside. You know, this past Halloween night with Pastor Esther, as she led, and Pastor Jeannie led the um, Halloween night, right? We watched a movie called Inside Out. Have you seen that? It's a delightful little film. It's about feelings having feelings, right? And for God here, he says it's not just about the actions. It's not just about what you do, but it's about your heart. That's why he says, I check the heart. Why? Because what a person does, his actions inevitably come, inevitably comes from what he is inside. What you do comes from who you are. It's a heart issue. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a heart issue, folks. So let's begin this, okay? You guys know the story. Verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Now I want to stop right there. Adam knew his wife, which, by the way, I think that's one of the most beautiful descriptions for sexual intimacy in marriage. It is. I'm not trying to joke around here. Like only he knows her. And only she knows him. The nakedness, the vulnerability, the knowledge that is just him and her. No one else. It definitely brings a sense of deep intimacy, doesn't it? Adam knew his wife. Adam knew his wife, and his wife knew Adam. So she conceived and bore him a son, then soon after got him another one, Cain and Abel. So who are Cain and Abel? Cain was a farmer. Say farmer. I don't know why I told you to say that, but (laughs) Abel was a shepherd. That's pretty much it. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Now, we can assume that Adam and Eve, they believed in God, or were they atheistic? No, they, they knew God. They believed in him, right? And they worshiped him. And so we can also assume that mommy and daddy, mom, Eve, and dad, Adam, taught their children who God was and taught them how to worship God as their creator. And we can assume this because Cain and Abel, they made altars and they offered sacrifices, okay? So they offer their sacrifices, Cain being the farmer, he brought some of the fruits, <coughs> excuse me, Abel being the shepherd brought some of the flock. Now, so here we are, both offerings have been made, and yet something interesting happens. Abel's sacrifice was accepted, but Cain's sacrifice, the farmer, was rejected. Why? God accepts one and yet God rejects another. Why? Some say this. Some say God only accepts blood sacrifice, and Cain, being a farmer, only brought crops. That's why it was rejected. But we know that's not entirely true, because later on in Israel's history, grain and harvest offerings were legitimate expressions of worship that God not only accepted, but he also commanded. He's like, give me grain offerings. Give me harvest offerings. So Cain's offering wasn't rejected because it was bloodless, So where's the difficulty here? Whenever we're having a hard time interpreting Scripture, what was the solution? Let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? Whenever we're having a hard time understanding certain parts of the Bible, then read the rest of the Bible. See what the rest of the Bible has to say. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter talking about all the great people of faith, Follow Abraham. Look at Abraham. He had great faith. Look at Moses. Look at, his, look at Noah. Look at, all, look at Joshua. Look at all these people of great faith. We read a verse where it says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended, 
commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. So why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's rejected? Because Abel offered his gift in faith. In faith. Cain did not. Turn to your neighbor and say, in faith. But maybe you're thinking that's not clear enough. In the book of Jude, there was another reference to Cain. It reads this. Listen to me. These dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. They speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and, and, what, and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. And here it is. They have taken the way of Cain. Those are some pretty heavy words. And just by hearing them, you can tell that they're not positive, good words. It's almost like as if that entire section was the opposite of faith. And that description of Cain and Jude was referring to people who go through the motions. They might attend worship. They might participate in fellowship. They might even speak spiritual things. But here's the big one. But they reject God's authority. They reject God's authority, and they speak abusively about anything they don't understand, and they diminish and they blemish worship with their hypocrisy. They have taken the way of Cain, it says. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not about how much you give. It's not about how good you look or how much you serve or that you have a seminary degree or that you've been raised up in a Christian household. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's about your heart, not yesterday or tomorrow, but right now. How is it? Your heart, because that's what matters to God. God says, check your heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, check your heart. Now consider verses 3 and 4 from this chapter. Look at the description of their sacrifices. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Some translations say some of the fruit of the soil. You might think that's not a big deal, right? Because he still brought it. It's still an offering. Well, it is when you... Read the next verse. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. It wasn't Abel brought to the Lord an offering of a sheep. It was firstborn and fat portions. What was the fat portions and what was the firstborn? It was the most prized portion of the body and it was the most prized sheep he had. It was the best that he could do. The best that he could do. Even from these two verses, we can tell there's a difference in the care and also the importance of these different offerings and how it reflected the distinctions in their hearts. God's like, I don't care about this and that. I care about your heart, how you bring it to me. Now, I'm not saying this to make us feel bad, so don't feel bad. But truth be told, I'll be honest, I deal with both aspects of this all the time, week in and week out. One day, do you guys ever feel, and I'm, and I'm being honest, one day I feel like my offerings are like Abel. It's acceptable. It's heartfelt. It's worship. I feel good. I feel authentic when I'm sitting here, when I'm standing, my hands are raised, and I'm crying out to the Lord. It feels real. I'm connected. It's good. But then there are also days where my offerings are like Cain, unacceptable. I'm kind of begrudgingly doing it out of a sense of obligation, and I'm going through the motions. You guys feel me? You guys ever feel that way? A little bit of both? A little bit of Cain and Abel? Look, we all come here for a myriad of reasons. Sometimes we come here because people simply expect us to be here. Sometimes we come here because we want to project the right image. 
May we come here because we hope to buy God's favor. I wonder how many Chicagoans are now starting to attend worship. Just kidding. Congrats, Cubs fans, whatever. Okay? So now we know that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let me ask you all this. Why do you come to God? Why do you come to God? Why do you come to church today? Is there a humble trust and unconditional love for him, a simple act of worship and adoration, or are you trying to strike some deal with God? Do you think coming here will make people in your life happy? Because at the end of the day, we can come here all we want, but if we come like Cain rather than Abel, then does it really even matter? So really, your attendance is not the issue. Your service is not the issue. God's saying, your heart is. Your heart. But let me say this. We're good at checking our heart's condition at the door and leaving it there before we come inside. If you got into an argument with your spouse on the way to church, don't check your anger at the door. Bring it in and bring it to God. You hear me? If you lost your cool with your kids today or this past week, don't check your impatience at the door. Bring it in to service, into worship, and surrender it to Christ. If you're just having a crummy day and you really don't feel like being here, but you want to save face, don't check your attitude at the door and fake your smile here. Instead, bring your attitude, bring your bitterness, bring the chaos that is in your mind and in your heart and in your soul and bring it to the cross. Don't try to fake your heart's condition before God today. It's not going to fly with him. You can try to trick those around you, but don't think you have to come to worship perfect and holy. That's what so many people think they got to do. When they come here, everything's got to be all spiritual and righty-tighty. Right? So we all look like we've just did a Bible marathon. How was your day, sister? Oh, it was praise the Lord. Right? No, I think we keep forgetting that we come here as broken vessels to worship the one who is perfect and holy. We don't come here perfect and holy. We come here to worship the perfect and holy one. So what's our requirement? Come just as you are. Come just as you are. Come humbly. Come with repentance. Come with a desire to get right with him. So don't check it at the door. Bring it to the one who can do something about it. Bring it to the one who can do something about it. Bring it to Christ. Now, my second point is this. Sin is no game. Turn to your neighbor and say, sin is no game. <clears throat> you know, I'll admit, I play poker from time to time. I know, right? I'm a heathen. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. I like playing with pretzels. Okay? <laughs> I'm such a Christian, right? <laughs> right? So I like playing with pretzels or like as if, you know, the loser or maybe the, uh, the top three people with the highest chip count, they don't have to pay for the pizza type of thing. I know none of you guys want to play with me now, right? Well, here's the thing. I remember many years ago, um, my cousin invited me to over, uh, over to a barbecue at his house. And I went and I ate some food and it was all good and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden he whipped out this massive poker table and seven guys immediately sat in and they all looked at me and they said, you need to be our eighth, right? Because four and four right there. And so, by the way, I don't do well with peer pressure, so I sat. So I, so I go there, and, and I sit down, and everyone just pulls out their wallets, and, they, and they, they pull out $50 for a buy-in, and I shriek. I'm like, did you all win the lottery? $50, my goodness. And so they all looked at me, and they're like, fine, this is the guy who's trying to be a pastor, right? 
So they lowered it down to $20, and how gracious of them. I was still reluctant because this wasn't a game anymore. I'm like, where are the pretzels? It was cutthroat. Now, here's the thing. Because no one knew how I played, I played like how I normally play, which is erratic. And I ended up collecting a lot of chips, but I soon lost everything, including my hard-earned $20. It wasn't a game. It was for keeps. It's not like I could say, okay, can I have my $20 back? I'm a nice guy, right? Can I take it back? No, the stakes got high, and they asked me, you know what? No, this is my money now. So whoever won, they had like $160 or something like that, and they said, you can buy in for another $20. And I said, no, thank you. That's for my haagen <clears throat> Now, what's the point of that illustration? We always assume that sin is just a game. That's not for keeps. Sleeping around, porn addiction, greed, materialism, cheating, dishonesty, disobedience, the list goes on and on. We think it's no biggie. It's not a big deal. Come on, we're progressives here. It's not a big deal. We're just playing with pretzels and chips, if you will. There's nothing really at stake because, you know what, this is just a game. But what happens when we're done playing? Do we think that we can somehow just pack up our discretion and go back to work, go back to school, resume our lives, resume our fine reputations, and act as if those sins were just a fond, distant, fond memory of the good times we had? You know, kind of like whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas type of attitude? Not so. Sin is no game. In verse 1 and 2, we see it in Adam and Eve. Sin brought terrible consequences on them. Remember God, he extended mercy and didn't immediately kill them? Remember that part? So Adam and Eve, they were able to continue living and at least have babies and, and more babies. And so, well, Eve, she gets pregnant. And like most mothers, you're in bliss, right? You're glowing, you're radiant, you're rubbing your belly, and you're pregnant, you're wonderful, and you have all these high hopes and expectations for your little one, right? Grace just thought when she was pregnant with Junior, you know, he's going to become like a billigram pastor, and we have all these high expectations on these wonderful things, right? Well, remember, Eve was told that she would start a line, a lineage that would lead to the Savior, the Deliverer, the Conqueror, the Promised One, the Promised Son. How wonderful, and how exciting it was. See, the terrible fall happened, right, when they disobeyed. And the whole world just went into disarray, corruption, brokenness, wickedness, and all that happened. But then God said, but a promise wants to come through you. And so what happened? Eve gets pregnant and she gives birth to a murderer rather than a savior. A killer rather than the Christ. Don't think there won't be any consequences for our sin actions, people. Because, because whatever you're doing in life right now, okay, whatever addiction that you have right now, the consequences may not come today or tomorrow or even next year, but it will come because we will reap what we sow. Why? Because the holiness and the justice of God cannot go mocked, cannot go unpunished. So be warned. Secondly, in verse 6 and 7, when Cain was discouraged that his offering wasn't accepted, what did God do? When he was all kind of peeved that, why did you accept my brothers and not mine? What did, what did God do? Did God say, oh, you know, one strike and you're out. You're banished from this area now. Get out. No. God counseled him, just like he counseled his parents. He counseled him. And he said, hey, this is what you got to do from now on. And this is how important it is. Cain knew what was right because God told him. God warned Cain about sin. God counseled Cain about understanding the severity of the situation and that Cain has to change his heart's attitude. He needs to change everything towards the Lord. 
So how did Cain respond? Like a good, wonderful, faithful child, say, yes, Lord, I will change. Thank you for the words of discipline and rebuke, and I will try to live a sanctified, justified life. No, what did Cain do? He, he, he got mad. He got mad at God. But you can't hit God, right? You can't hit God. You can't, get, you can't really do anything to God. So what happens when a child who gets abused by a parent, they act down, they project it onto a classmate? That's called bullying, right? What happens when a husband gets chewed out by his boss in front of his coworkers? He brings it home, and he projects it on his wife and kids. Maybe he drinks a little bit more. He shouts a little bit more. He gets aggressive, physically aggressive. Well, Cain, he was warned, and he was counseled, and he was disciplined by God. Did Cain respond appropriately? Did he respond in wisdom and compassion and understanding and love? No. He took it out on his brother. He projected it. And before he knew it, Cain became the first murderer. Cain killed Abel because Abel's worship was more acceptable. Think about that. Cain, his, Abel, his brother, Abel's ex- worship, offering, sacrifice was accepted by God. And Cain, in bitterness, jealousy, whatever you want to call it, murdered his brother. How did it get from hypocritical worshiper to cold-blooded killer? Let me say this, because sin is no game. You think adultery just happens overnight? It happens when the sin of pornography or sin of lustful fantasy begins to play regularly in the heart and the mind of a person. Do you think murders just happen overnight? It happens when the sin of anger, confusion, and bitterness slowly seep deeper and deeper into the hearts and minds of people. You see, sin is no joke. It's no game. Even as church people, we can flirt with sin. And we must not. We cannot flirt with hypocrisy or self-righteousness. We can't even let a whisper of gossip to swirl around and imagine it will never take root in our hearts because it will. All it takes for this church, for this English ministry, Shining Star Community Church to be dismantled, all it takes for our families and (coughs) and our marriages to fall apart is one word from the enemy. One word. This is one foolish word from our mouths. It's from one word from the serpent who will twist all those things around. Sin is always crouching at the door, people. You know that? We as a church, we as believers cannot and we must not give in. Give it a second to breathe this poison into our lives. Don't give it a chance. Sin is no game. Thirdly, we can see how bad how from bad to worse it got with Cain after his sin. So God, get this, confronts Cain after he killed him, right? He says, where's your brother Abel? Cain says a famous line that so many people know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? How many of you guys have ever said that? I, was, I have a brother, so I've said it too many times, right? Am I my brother's keeper? sarcasm, arrogance, pride, bitterness, you name it. It got so bad that Cain was willing to take on God himself. Just think about it. A few days prior, Cain was making sacrifices. He was making offerings. He was making gestures of worship to God. But now Cain has absolutely no regard for God. What happened? The effects of sin is that it rapidly deteriorates who we are and who we are with God. Sin is no game. It's not just something that you go, you're going through. Sin has a motive. 
is to completely ravage any semblance of fellowship and relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens then? God, he declares judgment on Cain, verse 10, 12. What were they? What was the judgment? He said Cain would live under a curse. The ground will not yield crops for him, and Cain will be a fugitive and wanderer for the rest of his days. So what does that mean? It's this. When you lie, have you, who here has lied? Okay, right? Those of you who have put your hands up, you're a liar. Okay. <clears throat> so we've all lied. And what happens when you lie? You have to kind of cover up that lie with another lie, right? And you have to keep covering with another lie and another lie. Have you ever met like a pathological liar? It's just, you're just kind of like bewildered. You're like, are you really you? Like, this is crazy. How it, becomes, it starts snowballing, right? It becomes, it's just waiting to unravel. How about this? When you're a thief or a crook, there's no such thing as a quiet or secure place to rest. They imagine every person is out to get them. They're constantly looking over their shoulders. They can't trust anyone. They live in solitude. It's a life of hopeless, hopelessness and abandonment with no security but filled with constant fear. When you're a thief, when you're a criminal, when you're a crook, that's just your life. You're constantly looking over your shoulders. Cain was not the seed of his mom. You know that? Cain was the other promise that God said. He was the seed of the serpent. Wicked, corrupt, ungodly. So get this. Cain is in a whirlwind, whirlwind of trouble. But like Adam and Eve who sinned, God also spared Cain's life. Right? How? He didn't immediately kill him. He didn't immediately bring judgment to Cain and kill him off right <coughs> then and there. So you got to think, Cain's got to feel pretty good. Thank you, Lord, for sparing my life. I know that you're really mad at me and that you are right to, dis to destroy me, annihilate me, but you didn't do that. So he's got to feel pretty relieved. So surely at this moment in time, Cain can look upon the great, graceful, gracious, merciful creator God and see his goodness and, and see his act of mercy and use that as the very thing to turn around, to repent and come back to him, right? Well, look at verse 13, 14. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So what does Cain do? God's last act of mercy saying, Hey, man, I'm not going to smite you. I'm not going to kill you. This should be the turning point in Cain's life where he says, God, I need you. Sorry, I made a big boo-boo. I want to come back to you. Will you forgive me? But what did Cain do instead? He starts accusing God of being unfair. He starts accusing God of being unjust. He's saying the punishment does not fit the crime, and that he's getting something worse than he deserves. Now compare that with the thief on the cross who was crucified with Christ. Listen to what he said when the other thief, other side of Christ, ridiculed Jesus. He said, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing. Nothing wrong. Then he turns his face to Christ and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not Cain, though. The last words out of his mouth, his mouth were words of complaint and accusation against the very nature of God. Now, maybe right now, some of you guys are looking deep into your hearts and you're thinking, you know, I think I'm... Pastor David, this is kind of a shocking message. I feel like I'm more Cain than Abel. I think I've come to church as a hypocrite more than I've come, someone who's genuinely seeking after worship and seeking after God. Am I also cursed? 
to wander and curse to be separated from God? Am I hopeless? Now, brothers and sisters, friends, here's the gospel message. Listen to me. I'm going to end with this. Part of Cain's condemnation was that the blood of his brother, Abel, would cry out from the ground against him. And what was that cry? It was a cry for justice. It was a cry for vengeance. This was a cry of don't let the righteous suffer in vain. But in Hebrews chapter 12, we read something spectacular. Listen to me. He says, you can come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now think about that for a second. Speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does Abel's blood, what is it crying out? Is crying out for vengeance. Is crying out for justice. Is crying out for retribution. Well, what possible word could be better than that? What word could the blood of Jesus cry out, speak that is better than that? And this is it. Hear me out. The blood of Jesus does not cry out for, forget, for, for vengeance. The blood of Jesus does not cry out for retribution. The blood of Jesus does not cry out for vengeance or anything like that. The blood of Jesus cries out for one thing only. He says forgiveness. The blood of Jesus has been poured out, cries out for forgiveness. For forgiveness. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The word for God's wrath that has been satisfied. A word that the ransom has been paid. A word that the guilty, the hypocritical, the prideful, the murderers, the adulterers, the dishonest, the disobedient, that by, that by the blood of Jesus Christ that cries out, you can be forgiven. Not for vengeance. Not for retribution. Not for just justice, but for forgiveness. The blood of Christ has been poured on the ground once and for all to bring us back to God. <clears throat> so yes, this is a warning of the terrible consequences of our sins, but this is also a message of grace and of mercy that we as sinners, we have a refuge if we turn around, repent, trust in Jesus who saves us, restores us, and frees us. Because though the blood of Abel cries out, for justice, and for vengeance. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. What do you hear God saying to you right now? How is your heart today? Do you have a fear? Do you have an idleness? Uh, do you have a... What do you have that's just competing with the Lord? Do you have anger? We need to check our hearts. And we need to know that the sin in our lives is no joke, it's no game. It will ruin us. We all have to also know that the forgiveness of Jesus Christ will free us. You gotta honestly... Assess your situation. Ask yourselves, have you truly humbly come before the Lord and asked to take it from you? Maybe some of you guys are just chained by your past and you, you had some really kind of screwed up, messed up pasts. Some really kind of horrific experiences. Maybe you've been the victim or maybe you victimized someone else or whatever the issue was. Maybe you said a lot of hurtful things. Maybe you did a lot of hurtful things.
Maybe it was towards God. Maybe you just, there's a lot of unbelief and skepticism in your heart and you've, you question God, you've sinned against God, you've, you just don't want anything to do with God. You know, Cain and Abel, the only difference was it was their heart. Maybe, maybe you're kind of torn right now because you, all your life you've done what you could. You, you thought, well, I've done this for you, God. I've served this way. I've devoted this much. And you know what that is? That's bargaining. You're asking God, because I did this, now you owe me. And that's essentially what Cain did. He said, that here, I'm just going through the routine, the motion of offering. Here is my sacrifice to you, so therefore you should be pleased. But we know, brothers and sisters, that the only way to truly please God is by faith, faith in Jesus Christ. For those of you who aren't in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, today is the day. Open your heart. It is by faith. You can't, you can't be good enough to get to him. You can't. You can't do good enough. You can't earn enough. You can't be famous enough. You can't be pretty enough. You can't be smart enough. You just cannot. Nothing. Nothing. Everything else will fall short. If I can only have a perfect marriage, then God will be pleased. Come on. If I can raise up the perfect children, then God will be, God will extend favor to me. No, that's not it either. If I just live moralistically right and do good and be charitable, no, all that Isaiah says is filthy rags. Nothing can compare to the perfection of Christ Jesus. You must be clothed by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You know what makes Christianity alive? You know what brings it vibrancy? It is the blood of Jesus, nothing else. Someone said, if you were to stab the Bible and tear it apart, the blood of Jesus would trickle out from it. He is the lifeline of our faith. Do you trust that it is his blood that has covered over your sins? That it is his blood that has allowed you to be found acceptable and righteous and holy before God. These are things you need to think about and pray. And as you, I want to give you guys just a minute or two, okay? About like 60 seconds, 120 seconds just to pray. and Think about your heart, <coughs> where you're at with the Lord. And if you need to give your life over to the Lord and do so, talk to me afterwards. If you have questions about your faith, Talk to me afterwards, too. But take a moment and pray. God's speaking to you. I don't want to keep putting more words in your ears right now. So whatever the Lord is saying, pray. Okay? And then we'll go into our Lord's Supper. And so the message of the Lord's Supper is also one of self-examination. It's about checking your heart. The Bible makes it quite clear that if you approach this act of worship, the Lord's Supper, in such a way that we're harboring sin, that we are unrepentant, that we are approaching it with a sense of pride and worshipful hypocrisy, I would say, then we bring judgment upon ourselves. In other words, don't take lightly what Christ had to do to forgive us. It was Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said that grace is cheap, but it costs the Son of God, everything. So before you come up 
We have our ushers on both sides, but before you come up to participate in this, this is a call for those who express their faith in Christ alone, who know that their sins have been forgiven by the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. This is for those who can express thankfulness to God, although with godly sorrow, because it was our sins that placed him on the cross, but you can be thankful that he died on the cross on our behalf. This is also a way for us to acknowledge that we are partaking in fellowship, not just with Christ as our Lord and Savior, but also with this one body, this church, this English ministry here. But this is also an act of worship where we say, God, we thank you for your great sacrifice. And the hope that I have in right now is not the hope that I can get from a profession or from more money or from a happier marriage or from having more kids. No, Lord, the hope that I have in who I am, what I am, is in your great sacrifice. I am a child of the Most High. And that's something that no one can take from me. So when you're ready and you've prayed, you've repented, please join me. Come up to the sides. Please join me this time of the Lord's Supper. It may seem like an impossible task to, to check our hearts and get it right before you. But I think when we think it's impossible, we fail to understand, Lord, that the moment that we met you, Jesus, who became our Savior and Lord, you have made us a new creation. You have transformed our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. You have made us anew. Through repentance, Lord, we are able to make our hearts right. Through repentance, Lord, we are able to come to you, to be cleansed by you, to be forgiven by you. Father, we thank you for our friends here who have really taken a leap in their faith, trusting you, acknowledging, Lord, that you are the only one who can forgive. Every single day from this point on, Father, may we reflect upon the gospel message of Christ Jesus, that there is no other news like it. There's nothing else, Lord, that we want from this world because we have you. So we thank you for this after <coughs> afternoon. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please join me.